Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. <laughs> That's an old, old school Tuttle. Speaking of old school Tuttle, we are back in the bleachers. They are wide open. We don't, we don't have a cornfield in our bleachers. Next best thing is being in my comfortable office as Tuttle is in his comfortable office. And guess what? The man, the myth, the legend is back from vacation. We've got David Tuttle back on this show. We are the Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran and current commentator for the Houston Astros. And David Tuttle on the other side is out there on the West Coast, enjoying himself some left coast uh, weather after going to Hawaii on vacation. And it's good to have him back. I spent last podcast speaking with Evan Gaddis. We'll get into that a little bit, but uh, we appreciate you listening on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We also appreciate all the downloads, all the subscriptions, all the ratings, all the reviews. And of course, on social media, you can see those reviews. If you happen to rate or review us, they will show up on our Instagram account at Blummers by Bleacher Blums <laughs> at Bleacher Blums on Instagram as I butcher that one. And then on Twitter at Bleacher Blums. Also, you can catch some quick snippets on there and keep updated on the podcast. But of course, I want to welcome back my very good friend and my very good co-host, David Tuttle. Welcome back to the podcast. How have you been? Give the fans an update on what you've been up to, man. Blummer. Great to be back. Um, I think we just scraped out uh, or just sneaked in under the uh, COVID window again because out here in California, it looks oh, like no. the unvaccinated folks and the rest of us are just, uh, you know, just blowing up um, the state. So, anyway, I know that's a downer of a topic, but I had a wonderful vacation. I know you had a vacation a couple weeks ago. And I mean, I think the older you get and the more children you have, you know, this is the old, I need a vacation from my vacation. I mentioned that when you got back from Havasu, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. You know, you need to detox a little bit, sleep in a little bit. You're thinking vacation's going to do that, but uh, no, it was really good to get away with the family. And uh, and you know, at any time you're not working, you know, maybe you're using up a little more energy than uh, than uh, than necessary. But yeah, we had a really good time, and uh, and I did tune into the podcast. I, I listened to uh, Evan Gaddis, you know, Oso Blanco, and. I was mentioning right before we jumped on here that he sounded a lot like the old Tuttle, like with his ear pods and out in the out in the patio. So, um, but it was great. It was great that you kept it going, and uh, I'm glad that this thing is, uh, you know, getting a life of its own. And and you know, as I already mentioned, it's really good to be back. So here I am, ready to roll, my friend. Yeah, and when listening to Evan Gaddis, and you know, it was great to have him on, and I appreciate. You know, it's it's so much different, even between us. You know, I mean, we we try and keep as much of our off air personality on air. And granted, maybe we cut out a couple of cuss words and are a little more uh, more more coherent in our conversations when we have them on this podcast. But they're very similar to what we do off the podcast. But the only thing I would, you know, if there was a moment where I could get you know, Evan Gaddis to be a little more outspoken. I wish I could get it from him, but he was so calm, cool, collected. Uh, you know, there's, there's moments throughout the course of the season where he's been watching games and I've gotten these texts, you know, where he's blowing up an umpire, where he's blowing up fans, where he's doing something. I'm like, how do I, how do I get this out of him? And I tried to, you know, pull on some of that emotion, but he kept it together pretty good. Um, you know, but I'm just curious in listening to that podcast, you've never met Evan Gaddis. Did you have any thoughts, emotions, feelings during, or, or while you were listening to that podcast? I did. A couple things. One one is I, I thought he, you know, baseball player is a baseball player is a baseball player. It was really nice to have that familiarity that we, you know, we all have. Um, I keep mentioning like Ted Lasso. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of catching up on those episodes. And the stuff that you miss is always the things that anybody talks about during a retirement speech. It's just being in the locker room with the guys. Uh, I appreciated his his journey to the big leagues, and he didn't get into that too much, but he certainly discussed uh, his maturity level when he got into pro <laughs> ball. And he's like, I don't know how these eighteen year olds, you know, making nine hundred fifty dollars a month, you know, figure it out. Like they're they, you know, they they speak well, they interview well, you know, they're not out late at night, you know, whatever whatever he was hinting at. Uh, I felt like I. I what did they say? I was picking up what he was laying down. Like I got what he was, yeah, what he was hinting at, and I just thought, yeah, I mean, his story is pretty, um, pretty cool, and it, you know, it just made me think about my own journey and you know some of the the forks in the road, and I went right here instead of left or whatever. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it it enlightened hopefully the audience and certainly reminded me that you know the journey's different for everybody, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of trying to get that break and how hard you have to work. And and then I, I thought getting into what the Astros clubhouse was like uh, versus the Braves, I thought was very insightful. So he definitely provided a, a few pointers that that were uh, that kind of reminded me of things and hopefully gave the fans a, a taste of that it's not so easy. And, and in many ways, this is a job for a lot of people. I will also say that I won the bet while I was on vacation. I know we made the bet prior, oh my but I gosh. never... But I never, but I never knew what the bet, what the bet was. So if you came back and said, "Oh yeah, we decided not to do anything," I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm fine." So I was just hoping you know that what? it was some beer from Houston, you know. No, it's it's turning into beer from Houston because you know what's funny about that is I think fans kind of jumped in and I don't know, you know we had a ton of votes on it. Oh. Uh, we want to put it to the fans, but dear God, I mean. Putting the putting the option for a Dodgers jersey for either of us to put on was not a good call, <laughs> because there is no way in in this green earth that you, being a Giants fan, would ever dream of having to put on a Dodgers uniform. And I actually, oh man, uh, okay, so a couple of years, uh, maybe five <laughs> or six years ago, back when I was living in California, we went to a West Coast uh, uh, a West Coast award ceremony. I was invited to, and. Clayton Kershaw. I think I know what, where this is going, by the way. Oh, man. Clay, Clayton Kershaw was the guest of honor. So they gave all of the uh, celebrities there a signed Clayton Kershaw jersey. So I would have had the option to put it on because my my Astros lost to your Giants in, in grand fashion because that was a phenomenal series. Actually, I don't want to take anything away from that because the Giants are actually really good. And now uh, there's LA Times has a, has an article today saying that they don't think the Dodgers are going to catch up to the Giants. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but that was pretty cool to read. But yeah. having that having that Dodgers jersey in the house, it is it is buried in a box. It's an, it's no, no, buried it looks like it's my, framed. It's framed back there, right next to the Expos jersey. You hung it up. Dear God, hey man, that's not funny, man. You're you're gonna force the you're gonna force this podcast into video because you keep saying stuff like that. There you go. It, it, it's buried back there, and I had as soon as the Astros lost, and I saw the poll, I was like, man, I'm gonna have to pull this thing out. And instead, I have opted. I have taken the executive decision to continue to have the the Clayton Kershaw jersey buried. Awesome. And yeah. And I'm not going to break it out. So I, w- I owe you at least a six-pack of St. Arnold Brew. Uh, it will be coming your way as soon as I possibly can. Or I, maybe I just buy you a plane ticket and get you to Houston, and we drink those six beers right here in, in Houston. That might be an option. There we go. I'm I'm all for it. I just uh, I didn't I'd be remiss because we did engage the fans on that poll, and I agree with you. I think leaving bets into the hands of. Uh, you know, in, in the hands of the listeners, I think they're they're not quite. Uh, let's see, how do I put this politically correct? Uh, I mean, well, they're going to be a little more. I gave if, them the option. That was my that's fault. Right. I had control yeah. of the the actual okay. answers, and I gave them gotcha. the option. That was my bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's blame you. But uh, yeah, let's get back to what the bet actually was. And the reason I brought it up was not because I wanted my. Uh, my winnings was because you know it happened while I wasn't even working, but the uh, but the Giants and the Astros was a really good series, and I think when you see two good teams get together, you see good baseball. And I thought I think the first game I did get to watch, and it was seven nothing early on. I think it ended up like nine five or nine six. I mean, there's just no quit in the Giants. They're a really good hitting team. They have a good pitching staff. You know, there's the the guy that throws from his shoe reminds me of the other guy from the A's many oh, man. years ago. Those guys are just, uh, I think, yeah, they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. But we also saw that the Astros, um, and this was kind of right around the trade deadline, but the Astros without a bullpen were able to uh, to be uh, competitive as well. And so hopefully the new additions and the things that both teams did, including ad- adding like Chris Bryant or the the Astros adding the bullpen guys that they did, that these teams are going to be reckoned with here down at, you know, down competent time. No, I agree. I think the, you know, the bullpen definitely will change some things because there were moments in that series where the bullpen kind of faltered a little bit, but it shouldn't take away from what the San Francisco Giants were able to do. Now, sitting from afar and not watching a lot of their games, I was kind of curious how they were doing it, 
you know, they're playing a lot of tight games. I think they're playing 500 against the Dodgers and then beating up on everybody else. So that's kind of an, an interesting uh, scenario. And I think it's a good scenario because if you are playing 500 against the quote unquote best team in that division, you are playing very good baseball and they're competitive. But the way that the Giants went out, their bullpen was really good. But the way they went out and hit the ball, because there's not really, you know, other than Chris Bryant, Buster Posey and, and Brandon Crawford, uh, you know, there weren't big names in that lineup and Brandon Belt hasn't come back yet. I don't, or wasn't back in that series. I don't believe Yeah, he wasn't. And, um, they hit the ball freaking hard, dude. It was thunderous what some of these guys were doing. You're watching some of these pitches and you're like, dude, these aren't duck snorts or Texas leaguers or, you know, they are smashes. And they got a couple of pitches up out of the plate that they drove out of the ballpark. So I was thoroughly impressed with the way they hit the ball and just reinforces the fact that you have to go out and pitch to this lineup for the Giants, even though they don't have those marquee names. And once you pitch around a Brandon Crawford, once you pitch around a Buster Posey, guess what? You know, Darren Ruff tore it up. Uh, they're, they're, gosh, I can't even remember the second baseman's name, but he, he had a great series. And that's probably who these guys are. Is, I don't know who this guy is, but he just he's two for two with two RBIs. And here I am losing this game. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And those no-name guys are what I think sneak up on people when they don't have the, uh, you know, when they don't have the, like the name recognition and all of a sudden, you know, here's a scouting report here and there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, they're definitely going to be um, a team to be contended with. And I wanted to touch on since our bet, and that's why I brought up is the betting apps and stuff, live in-game betting. And one of the reasons that Blue Wire uh, Networks is building a podcast studio in the win is because of the WinBet app that they have, the MGM. Uh, I think they're competing with MGM. And I just saw another betting app come out. They're starting to legalize gambling. And I think that's going to be an interesting, um, I don't know, sideline or highlight to all this stuff as we head into fantasy football and football season. So I know um, that's kind of just throwing that at you for an opinion. But uh, the playoffs should be a lot more interesting. And I think sports, especially with COVID and people staying at home, I think the betting industry is going to uh, to benefit from that. And uh, it might make all these sports uh, events more interesting. So I'll just take a six pack of beer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's our betting. Yeah. We aren't going to get financial on it and try and crush each other's wallets as we try and, uh, you know, monetize our podcast and have some fun with it and actually pay our producer someday. Yeah. But uh, for the time being, beer is plenty enough of a payment for me and you. And I'm grateful for your uh, conciliatory attitude towards the situation and being accepting of, of the fine craft brew of St. Arnold. And of course, that leads us to what's on tap. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the Field of Dreams uh, game that was played last night as we record here on this Friday the 13th. Uh, it, you know, last night was that Field of Dreams game. It was a lot of fun to me. I've got some thoughts on that. Tuttle, you got anything else that you want to add to the On Tap brought to us by St. Arnold? I thought maybe I would touch on maybe a little fantasy football since we have that coming up mm. and possibly a DMV story. So I got those two oh, things. Boy. Now, you, do you, is it a California DMV or is it an, another state DMV? Uh, no California DMV. Oh, that's going to be good because I, I oh, is that do not better than Houston? at all. Oh, my God. Dude, Texas has nailed it, man. Dude, I make appointments what? and I show up and the appointment is respected. I don't mm. know how I, I, I don't know if it's like that for everybody in Texas, but I've made appointments. Uh, like when I moved here to get my new license, I showed up. I said, here I am. Here's my 1015 appointment. And they said, oh, yes, sir, Mr. Blum, here you go. And they handed me my license and I was out of there in about maybe a half an hour. It was beautiful. My daughter's uh, driver's license test showed up half an hour, three girls driving test done. That's my story. So we're going to, we'll get to that later for sure then. All right. Make sure you stay tuned to that. That's what we've got on tap right now. We're going to go to a word from our sponsor. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. 
Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we're back. How about last night, Tuttle? Last night was, I think, considering the moment that baseball is in and all of the turmoil that we have seen throughout the course of the season, Last night, I'm not, I think it needed to happen. And I give a lot of credit, amazingly enough, not to Rob Manfred again, but to the game of baseball. Whoever ran the production of, of this Major League Baseball event where they went to Dyersville, Iowa, and maybe about 100 yards away from the set of the movie Field of Dreams, they built a Major League stadium that seated 8,000 fans. Uh, with the cornfield cornfield in the outfield, and they played a Major League Baseball game, and the production of it was absolutely phenomenal. And I can't, I can't explain how important, and I probably didn't know this until I was actually watching the game or after the game, how important it was to the game of baseball. We've had the sticky stuff. We've had Trevor Bauer. We've had sign-stealing scandals. We've had length of games controversies. We've had idiotic rules implemented into the game where you know it's taking away from the integrity and the game itself the traditional the traditionalist idea of baseball and we went out and watched a game played in a cornfield and it was the purest moment i think baseball has probably had in you know since the 1960s probably before the invention of astroturf where they actually played a game as pure as it possibly could have been played and i cannot i cannot tell you how much i enjoyed it by the end of that game and the way the game was played and how it finished i was absolutely floored and i truly and honestly hope that fans of the game enjoyed that i know there were a lot of people who were not fans of the white Sox or the yankees love that game. I tweeted out, that game was amazing. I love baseball. And that is all that needed to be said last night. I'm not sure if you saw it, but the purity of that game had to happen in this moment in baseball. And I couldn't be more grateful that Major League Baseball put it on. And I couldn't be more grateful to the Chicago White Sox. And I'm sad to say this, even the New York Yankees on how well they played this game. Uh, There were a lot of things inside that game I want to talk about a little bit too, just because I think it's fun to knock around the Yankees a little bit, <laughs> but Tuttle, give me an idea of what your thoughts were about that game. And if, if you, what were your takeaways from that game? If you saw any of it? Yeah, no, I did. Um, mostly highlights, but I watched a little bit of it. And, uh, and I think what you kind of touched on is the answer to some of the things that we've been talking about on our podcast since the beginning, uh, which were how does baseball increase its uh, popularity? You know, the football world is dominated by the NFL and or the sports talk world is dominated by the NFL consistently. Um, I think we're barely floating above hockey and certainly not quite above hockey uh, for during the base, uh, during playoffs. So, you know, kind of NFL, NBA, MLB squeaking in there just ahead of the NHL. And I think there's the answer. We saw the answer last night, the production, the fact that they built a field out in the middle of nowhere, the, the way they did the introductions coming out of the cornfield, um, it just brought back the, you know, just that sensation and what it can be. And then, of course, the actual game with a bunch of home runs into the cornfield by your superstars, right? By Stanton, yeah. by Judge, who had two. And then one of my favorite players who we've talked about on this podcast, he's a little crazy, but uh, Tim Anderson, you know, one of the Love young, and, yeah, one of the young up and comers, hardworking, outspoken, and, you know, really talented, of course. I'm actually glad that Tony LaRusso wasn't there. Uh, you know, he might have. <laughs> He might have dampened my, <laughs> he might have dampened my enthusiasm, but yeah, but that's so we saw last night the answer to what we've been talking about. How does baseball increase its popularity? How does it become America's pastime again? I think we saw the answer. Now, to your point, what does Rob Manfred do with what what that does? You know, what's the fallout? What's the repercussion? What's the plan in place to take this and use this as a launching pad to make baseball what it is? And I'm a little. Uh, cynical or skeptical and i know you are too but the game was fantastic (laughs) yeah we uh the game was fantastic and i think uh if people watched it and if they didn't watch it go back and watch it and try and try and embrace it because i think that's certainly the answer to um 
to what we've been saying, and I think they could certainly increase their popularity. Could you imagine Shohei Otani out there next year at that Field of Dreams oh, game? Man. And you know, hockey's been trying to do it with that outdoor game, and they're saying that they're going to do this yeah. once a year now. Yeah, once a year is probably not enough. I mean, I think each team has to take a little bit from last night, and how can they make? Oh, look, I'm getting applause! Yay for my co-host. That's a great call, anyway, man. Right? A lot of okay. people on on Twitter were actually saying that. And what? And tell me, like, what were the what were the suggestions? I mean, we can't do every single night, you know, guys walking out of the cornfield with an introduction. But what little nugget? What little piece of that? I mean, that's how businesses are built, right? How is that business built mm-hmm. successfully? Oh, they did A, B, and C. Well, we can't do A, but we can certainly do B and C, right? Like, what are the steps that um, you think some of the organizations, like, what can the Astros do to kind of implement some of that? Even though I, we know they're already popular, but yeah. Well, it, it, there's, a, there's a couple of things there. The fact that this was the initial event of this and, you know, it had to be, if you've watched the movie, it had to be the Chicago White Sox because this is based on Shoeless Joe Jackson coming back and getting another opportunity. He was one of the guys that came out of the cornfield. So that connection to the White Sox put them in that game. It just so happened that they were scheduled against the Yankees for obvious reasons, timing of the schedule. And of course, the history that the Yankees have in in the game. But the fact that this was the inaugural game and it went, at least on on the fan side, it went as well as it possibly could have. I think that's what sparks the idea that you just said about having each team have the opportunity to go through there and enjoy that moment just for the players themselves, which hopefully it went well for them, but also for the fans to have the opportunity. Now, if I'm running the Field of Dreams thing out in Dyersville, I'm going, yes, sir. Yes, please, Mr. Baseball. Come here as often as you want because all it's going to do is bring more notoriety and more attention to them. And obviously, I'm sure there's you know fringe benefits to the to the uh, financial side of it for the field of dreams, but, and that franchise, but the fact that it went so well and was produced so well, can you do that every year? I don't know if you can blow it out every year like they did this year, but if you give those teams the opportunity to go there and bring their fans and try and reenact that movie and reenact, you know, the purity of the game of having those players in a time represent a time where baseball was going through its own strife and going through its own, you know, metamorphosis, I think is a phenomenal thing. But just the way that the setting of it, being in a cornfield, some of the visuals that we saw, the way that the backstop looked like a wood fence, uh, you know, the home runs, like you said, going into the cornfield, the the batter's eye looked like a cut out of a barn for crying out loud. I mean, the detail they put into this thing was absolutely incredible. And I also love the fact from a production value the way that they had drones flying around. I don't know who these pilots are driving these drones, but good God, hire them for every single major league game because the views and the angles and the shots that they had, the, the, just the aesthetic appeal that they gave us was unbelievable. I think they had one of those, you know, the, in the NFL, they have that uh, that camera above the field floating around. They had one at that game. And I'm like, why can't we put that in baseball? I know it, you know, fly balls, this and that, but Seattle has a really good camera down their th- uh, third baseline that looks incredible. There's got to be ways to really give fans a good visual when they're watching at home because not everybody can go to a game. So I think they did a great job of bringing that game in Iowa home to the fans at home. So it's kind of, they probably stole the idea from the NHL because like you said, the NHL playing these games outside, What what is the basis of doing of, of playing a game in Dyersville, Iowa, in a cornfield. What's the point of playing on, a, on an ice rink outside? It's to get back to the basis of the game. The fundamental of the game is to play it in any condition, anywhere you can, and play it for the love, love of the game. And that's where I hope Rob Manfred can take a seat back and go, we've got good fans. We've got a good game. We know it's not like any others. Let's embrace that. Like you said, I love the word embrace. Let's embrace the fact that baseball is totally different. We have our fan base and let's create this cult fanaticism from this game moving forward and not try and alter it every single day with some crazy lunatic ideas that take away from what these guys are actually doing on the field. Absolutely. Well said. And of course, we're aligned in that. You know, it, it takes me back to the old Sid Finch days, right? I mean, you just mentioned for love of the yeah. game, which is which is obviously the character. a character. Uh, we saw yeah. that. 
That's right. The basketball thing for love of the game too is, you know, some of the greatest things are like Larry Bird and French Lick, Indiana, like shooting on a bent basketball rim. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sid Finch, this invented character that some guy out, you know, throwing 120 <laughs> miles an hour, like, where is this guy? Like, those are the, that's exactly right. That's the fundamental, like the, the appeal of the game, right? A guy, a quarterback throwing a ball through a little hole in his barn or something like that. You know, all these little things. Think about it this way. When you go on vacation every year, like if you go to the same place, I mentioned we go up to Santa Cruz every year, you get, you smell the ocean and you smell the, like, it's nostalgia. And they brought back that nostalgia, but that's what, that's what creates exactly what you said, the love of the game and these, these moments that people can grasp onto. And I think baseball for different than any other sport just has that. And they need to, um, you said the word embrace because I said it already, is that that's the only word I can think of is they just need to embrace that and, and utilize that. And it was fantastic. It felt like big leaguers playing a little league game or big leaguers like stepping on the field for the first time. I mean, it was really cool. And I, I, I used the camera thing you brought up as, is legitimate. I've, I've, told you, I mean, CrossFit is a hobby, but they do have like CrossFit games now in Madison, Wisconsin. They have all this stuff. And some of the cinematography these guys get where guys are on a three-mile swim, they used it in the Olympics. They had the opening ceremonies, had those 1,800 drones flying in the shape of the globe. Like the technology they have now, the drone cinematography in some of these cool like homemade movies, like they're fantastic. And that's kind of a, for you and I as old guys, that's kind of a new... (laughs) Uh, Ramos is probably smiling back there, right? Like, I mean, it's a new, <laughs> I don't know, it's a new frontier, right? Like these drones, and I'm sure, you know, some high level movie studios have been using them for years, but I think why not? I mean, until like what Dave Winfield hit a uh, hit a pigeon uh, with a throw from right field one time, and Randy Johnson hit a, you know, hit a pigeon, you know, with a pitch or a seagull mm-hmm. with a pitch, until somebody's baseball actually hits a drone, right? And it drops for a double, like hitting the roof at Tampa Bay. Like Ground rules. they should be able to fly these things around, right? What are the odds that a yeah. fly ball hits a drone? Like, you know, unless it's bothering the players, there's got to be a way to enhance, as you already brought up, some of the the visual effects and some of the cool things that um, that our technology brings to this game, which is, you know, an old school game, but they could give some insight. And we said this before, and this is kind of a, a jumping off point as well. One thing that not having fans in the stands did is those mics, man, you could hear. So it's different on the Fox game of the week where you mic True. a guy up and he's like, hey, yeah, buddy, I'm mic'd up. Yeah, oh, this is great. Do you want some <laughs> bubble gum? You're like, yeah, instead <laughs> of hearing the guy go, hey, you know, like, sorry about the colorful language there, but, you know, you're getting a lot more taste of what it's really like to be in the dugout. And I think that's what we saw last night. Um, just the you know the foundational fundamental piece of you know the beauty of baseball. It was in every sense of the word, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. I agree on the camera angles. We need to get a little more advanced, and I think that's where the NFL kind of jumps out a little bit with some of the, the the cameras that they have and the accessibility that they have on the field. I can only enhance the game of baseball and get personal with these guys, get up close to them. I know it might be a little intrusive for the players, but at the same time, if you want to promote the game, you've got to be able to make some of these sacrifices, and maybe they do. But you know, getting inside the game like you're talking about, and let's get down to what that game actually did is it, it, it was a great game. It was an unbelievable game. It was a seesaw battle. It had a good pitching, you know, throughout the course of the game. It had big home runs. It had a, it had a comeback and uh, it ended with a walk-off home run, which, you know, you couldn't have written a better script for the Chicago White Sox in the sense that they get to walk off the New York Yankees on the field of dreams during a one game series out in there and that magical, uh, you know, stage that they were on. But it kind of exposed some issues for the New York Yankees. I know Aroldis Chapman, I think he's on the injured list. But man, what is going on with the New York Yankees? I couldn't believe that they brought in, and this goes to Aaron Boone too. You know, we talked about him on uh, Andrew's podcast earlier this season, you know, and it, I, I will defend Aaron Boone to no end just because I have a good relationship with him and I like him. I know he's been through a lot and he's managing through some, some difficulties, but I'm not sure Zach Britton was the right call in that situation considering how good the Chicago White Sox are against left-handed pitching. Also, the fact that they live and die by the home run. Uh, give me some thoughts about that game a little bit uh, from, from, from a, just a, you know, a, an analyst perspective, Tuttle. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think men have an easier time with this when you compartmentalize. We both mentioned relationships, personal relationships with Aaron and Dave Roberts, you know, two of the kind of most storied franchises and, you know, both really good guys, both working really hard. And sometimes we understand that they're going through either personal or professional battles behind the scenes. That being said, <laughs> you you know, you got to do your job, right? And who are you going to bring in? And, I, you know, I it's easy to second guess and say Zach Britton was not the guy for that situation, but it was a great game seesaw battle a uh, lot of home runs you know Lance Lynn actually pitched pretty well although he gave up some home runs as well but yeah I, I you know it's easy to look back and say lefty versus righty in that situation you know Zach Britton has held the closers job in the past I think his I bet his numbers are probably you know equal against righties and lefties but as you mentioned the White Sox are a really strong right-handed hitting team against left-handed pitching Man, specifically yeah. And Aaron felt like he had no other place to go. So I think if Zach Britton had done his job or got the first out or the second out, then maybe um, you know we would be having a different discussion. I know you're not a you're not a results in terms of you don't you don't think Zach Britton's the wrong guy because of what happened. You you obviously thought that at, you know when he came in. Yeah. So at the time. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what are what are his numbers, like his splits or something like that? No, he came into the game with a five ERA. He had the yeah. highest ERA out of that bullpen yeah. for the New York Yankees as as their bullpen is set up right now. So I, that's why I was curious. But I think that sometimes, like you were just saying, the manager gets caught up in what a guy has done, you know, in previous years. This is not the same Zach Britton that was with the Baltimore Orioles, where it was ninety seven with power sink and just blowing guys up, throwing bowling balls and getting ground balls. This is a guy that's a little more beat around, doesn't throw a lot of strikes, and when he does throw strikes, they get hit. And that's exactly what happened. It's just amazing to see that unfold the way it did. You know, and there was, uh, you know, I was reading some of the Yankees Twitter feed and they were saying, you know, Loisago was out there. He was a very good, young, maybe inexperienced right-hander, but had, you know, maybe a little bit better stuff or maybe more effective to right-handed hitters who has better splits. So, you know, it's that guessing game and that's part of the, you know, that's part of being a big league manager is you're going to be second guessed. But at the same time, you know, the Yankees didn't really make any additions in that bullpen to help out Aaron Boone. So he's kind of a victim to what he has. Yeah. And I think that's where, I mean, I think that's the crux of the point, um, which is that they just, you know, we've talked about all year long, the Astros being a little bit short in the back end of their bullpen. And at least during the trade deadline, they addressed that and they got some players. The Yankees are complaining about Aaron Boone's managing and they're fighting for a playoff spot or a wild card spot, which we talked about. They're kind of going all in for this last, you know, wild card spot. And what will that do for them? But I also think this has to go with like chemistry in the clubhouse and how things are going. And you and I have talked about it before. I mean, Aroldis Chapman, yeah, he's on the IR or the IL, but he, he'd been struggling mentally. I mean, the guy still throws 98 to 102 miles an hour and he couldn't get guys out. You're thinking, oh my gosh, that, I mean, that's just, that's just a mental thing. And then when that stuff snowballs, uh, I've always said this about the Yankees in general, the Yankees and the Dodgers, we've seen it with, with Kenley Jansen. Mm. There's something about those franchises, the storied franchises that want to stick with the experienced guys. You know, they just, it's kind of like the history of the game says, all right, you know, I can trust Zach Britton here because he has 300 major league saves or 200 major league saves. When, you know, your eyeballs tell you something different, which is exactly what you're saying is ERA is a five for a reason, right? Because guys are seeing the ball better. Or he's not throwing the same stuff or he's lacking confidence, which as you, I always say this as a pitcher and you know, um, damn well as a hitter, what your confidence level is. But if a guy is not throwing a lot of strikes, that always tells me that that means he's nibbling and he doesn't have the confidence to throw what he can throw and throw normally or naturally. So he's kind of nibbling and maybe being a little short with his pitches. And when you do that and now it's 2-0 or 3-1, you know, you're not going to have a lot of success, especially at the highest level. So I appreciate you bringing that, that topic up, but I think that's, those franchises kind of stick out to me. The Red Sox is another one, right? Like they have the storied mm -hmm. history and they want to keep bringing out, um, you know, kind of the guys that did it in the past. Yeah. And that's kind of where the game is moving too. You got to evolve a little bit and you're going to have these franchises that use the analytics and, and build these teams with purpose to go longer into seasons instead of just going out there, dropping and driving and relying on guys past history. Have I told you how much I miss you? Ah. I missed you. I appreciate that. You're bringing it today, man. <laughs> You've been on fire. I've been uh, I've been sitting back applauding everything that's going on, dude. So I appreciate everything you're uh, everything you have pent up 
and you're willing nice. to let go of. Because that was a great explanation of nibbling because guys that you know have the utmost confidence in their stuff are throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour or have that blowout slider. You know, they just, they chuck it in there and hope for the best kind of thing as opposed to those guys who are, man, if I leave a pitch out over there, I'm going to get crushed. So I got to stay on the edges. And if they're not on the edges, they end up walking guys and then giving up the big one. I thought that was a really good explanation of, of what, you know, nibbling is. And nibbling means that you're staying on the edges of the zone, not leaving pitches out over the plate. But in doing so, sometimes you've missed the plate and end up giving up some walks and base runners, right? Absolutely. You know, I appreciate you saying that. Here's another thing, and I can just speak from personal experience. There were games where maybe I was pitching late in the game or I knew it was kind of my last inning or something. But if you're pitching with confidence and things are going well, it wasn't about the velocity or the movement. It was almost more important to just throw the pitch with confidence to where you wanted to. Like you, you could feel that momentum. And I still feel it sometimes watching like playoff baseball. Like you can, you can see, you can feel it and see it in those pit players. Can't yeah, you? you can. You can yeah. almost go. You know what? This guy's taking really good swings right now. That doesn't mean he's going to get a hit. But if he smashes one at the third base and he makes a diving play, you're like, you know, I could see that happening because he was on the pitches. Where I never threw 95, but I, you know, I could be in a game where it's a one-two count and throw a ball 90 miles an hour right down the middle with confidence and have a guy swing through it and be like, you know, yeah, I, I threw that with confidence. I knew what was happening. I knew I could get the guy out. Like I looked him in the eye. He looked me in the eye. He didn't look as confident as I felt. And I think that that's mm -hmm. a really, you know, this is where that analytics versus the eyeball test kind of, you know, as you already touched on, comes to fruition. But it's really funny how, how it's a feeling, an instinct that will tell you what the outcome's going to be. And when you have guys, you know, like you said, that are able to throw the ball so hard these days and you see them struggling, I almost always want to oh, just man. give them a. I want to give them a phone call, right, and be like, "Hey, <laughs> like you know what? You have the stuff, right? You got to believe it." Well, you know? Welcome Ooh. to David Tuttle's consulting service. There you go. Believe it, right? Isn't, I think we said that before. <laughs> That's the thing. Yes, yeah. believe in your stuff. That's all I got on all that right. topic, right? No, that's outstanding. Yeah, but you pull back the curtain a little bit and, and confidence does have a lot to do with it. And that's why I'm going to throw it right back to you because I've exhausted all of my ideas for this podcast. And now that you are back with us, I'm going to throw the, that that football back into your court just using every every sports metaphor there is because I think you already hit on it earlier where you were saying uh, IR, which is an NFL term for injured right. reserve. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> IL, IR, I'll just throw it all together. So, um, yeah, so, uh, I, I, yeah, I think fantasy football is coming up, so I don't want the fans to feel shortchanged that we're just a baseball podcast. We give some insight into baseball mentality, but I think that, uh, permeates in sports. And when I grew mm -hmm. up, I was a, I was a Cowboys fan. Um, I did see somebody post because my Twitter happens to be fairly Houston heavy. Go figure, uh, the dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans. <laughs> so... I think having uh, having it's, it's the dumpster fire on Kirby Drive. I think it is. Yeah, there you go. That's crazy. But our, our boy Mark Ramos, I think, either has T-shirts or coasters available if you need them. Let's <laughs> <that> say that. <laughs> All right, there you go. The dumpster fire. So, so what I was going to say about the uh, fantasy football, and this is where uh, it the the sports have changed in general, specifically the NFL. But this is why it's topical, and I already brought up the betting apps and fantasy football. Is you know, it takes us away from having that one team that we root for. I still root for my San Francisco Giants, as we know, and you're still an Astros homer. And I think, you know, there are some other teams that we respect and root for, but football is completely different for me. Growing up as a Cowboys fan, I don't root for the Cowboys anymore. And I don't know if that's because of Jerry wow. Jones. Uh, as much as it is, you know, I like watching the Niners play. I like the Chiefs. I like the Cowboys. But you got to root for your fantasy team. You know, Alvin Kamara run, mm -hmm. won me a championship last year with six touchdowns in one game. So, you know, we have our league coming up. They've added some players, which is going to increase the degree of difficulty. I think a 10-team league is easy. So hopefully uh, hopefully you're getting geared up and you're doing your studying. I know you intimated that you're going to do the auto draft again and kick my ass with an <laughs> auto draft team. So, um, so fantasy football is coming up. Uh, you know, have you been looking at, you know, what's happening with training camps and have you been brushing up on your, uh, your lists, your tiers and things like that? Yeah, I've been uh, fishing it a little bit, to be honest with you, because, you know, I follow Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. I follow certain accounts. And like you said, some of those betting apps. So I've kind of, 
I've actually, you know, one thing I've noticed that I've done in the past, and you and I would had a great season when we took the emotion out of it, which is, you know, to your point, you know, you have, you know, I'm a Chargers guy. You know, I, I wanted to be a Texans guy, but everything that's going on, like you said, the dumpster fire that's happening down here with that franchise, I've kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go back to the Chargers. And of course, adding, you know, Herbert to that whole situation has made it that much better. And I picked him up on the waiver wire last year and he dominated for me. So I'm kind of back on that Charger bandwagon again. But, you know, that's the hard part in being an individual owner because you and I teamed up and it was easy to keep each other accountable and saying, hey, that, you know, this is the right pick. This is, you know, that's the emotional pick and you could really kind of separate it. But when you own that team by yourself and I'm finding this out, how I kind of like, I'll be watching the, like the bigger picture. And then I just find myself gradually going right back to like the guys that I've had in the past, like we just talked about, as opposed to trying to pick up on some of those newer things. But I think what I've done more recently, and as far as like scouting and who I'm going to draft and things like that, is I'm look, I'm trying to look at situations guys are in or offenses that these guys are in or the potential for the team having a big season because I feel like some of the guys that I've had in recent history you know the Browns had a good season last year and I you know had a couple guys on their team that performed well so I'm kind of looking at teams that are anticipated to perform well healthy and then seeing who's on that roster that maybe I could kind of sneak a pick in with that would be able to be productive on a winning team instead of being on a losing team that's just going bombzilla you know down the field with passing every time trying to catch up in some of these games I, I like the strategy I would say that that's where I I focus on the teams I think that have success and like oh yeah that's an offense I want a piece of you know, like the Bills mm -hmm. last year yeah, had success, right? And they've added some players and you're like, ooh, okay, I like to follow the Bills. But I will say last year I had um, both DJs, you know, I had DJ Chark in Jacksonville and then there's a, the DJ Moore in uh, in uh, Char uh, Charlotte, I was going to say, but obviously Carolina. I, those <laughs> guys both helped me out a lot. So I don't know if I'm going to go DJ heavy again. That was my another league I was in. But I will say to you, um, one thing that helps me and you drive around a lot, I mean, say it on the podcast, give away a secret here, is uh, there is a channel on my XM, Sirius XM, and they have a fantasy sports channel. And I will say I listen to it every time I get in the car during football season. And then as soon as football season ends or the fantasy, I never listen to it. And now I just tuned in again. <laughs> like it's, for, I listen to it from August 1st to like, yeah, August 1st to like December, you know, December 25th, right? That's, I, I, I only listen. I their ratings spike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, i I'm sure they do. This goes back to the popularity of sports again, right? Like, you know, yes. fantasy sports started Timing. with it started with rotisserie baseball and now I think golf and NFL have certainly exceeded, but rotisserie right. baseball was the statistician people like, "Hey, we're into this." Anyway, so I will just give you a hint Channel 87 on my Sirius XM radio has got a couple Channel of shows. 87. I will Yeah, I will I will forewarn you that uh, Jim Bowden and another guy have a show on there. Jim Bowden is now on the Fantasy Football Network, and every time that show comes on, I turn it off. It's just like I'm not taking fantasy advice from a GM. God I didn't no. like when he did baseball. But I was going to say he's already in your craw as it is. You're not going to listen go. to him for a different sport. Yeah. That would be like you. Uh, he screwed having, up the first time. That's right. Yeah. Hey, that's right. But no, like having the well, I don't know about that. That wasn't a personal thing. All right, we can say it now. He screwed up by not calling you up, okay? Well, there you go. Yeah, cup of coffee. Um, anyway, so I, Channel 87 is great, um, and uh, that's the only show I don't listen to. There are these guys that have been like, you know, I'm the fantasy champion for nine years in a row on this, and they write all the magazines. But I will say there's some insight there, and they, they will always there's always two players or three players that I hear about prior to the draft on there that I'm like, ooh. All right, because it's easier mm -hmm. to do your homework that than get the old school magazine and go through there with your highlighter and <laughs> yeah. draw stuff down. And it's like, anyway. And, and I do have one more thing. 10 bucks on ESPN to get that downloadable mock draft every day. Yeah, there you go. So let's see. when Our draft is coming up in a month, I think. So we'll have a couple more episodes mm -hmm. prior to that. But, uh, but we'll definitely start touching on fantasy football. So I'd love to hear some good team names. You know, the fans want to... I know they're sending in questions, but let's hear some good team names that we can have and maybe some thoughts. You know, I'll take I'll take fantasy football advice anywhere, anyhow, anytime. So no doubt. But I will say you you threw it back to me. This will have to be a Waddle Tuttle say. I haven't done it in a while. We haven't had the actual mm -hmm. segment, but uh, I touched on this earlier and what's on tap, which is uh, the California DMV. 
Um, you you said that your experience with the DMV in Texas there has been fantastic. So shout out to the state government of Texas and the ability to run a, a an efficient uh, system or an efficient business. But so my son yesterday, uh, he turned 16 while we were on vacation. Nice. Yeah, he's had his permit, ready to go. They have no appointments because of COVID. They didn't have appointments, but they are doing appointments for the driver's test. So last week he logged on and he went to all the appointments and you know where we live. So he looked at San Clemente DMV. He looked at uh, the Laguna Hills DMV and he was kind of trying to figure out the appointment. They had no appointments for the next month. He found one in Riverside for yesterday. Oh and boy. he's like, that's great. Six months in, I, you know, I'm going to get my license. I can get it, you know, as ASAP, as he said, like I'm going to get it. So my wife took him out there yesterday, took a little time off work, drove out there. It's about an hour, hour there and back. Mm. He took the test. I mean, you know, they had to wait in the line. So that was good. They honored the appointment. Everything was good. He passed the test. Yep. So no nerves there. That's what we wanted yeah. to know. Yeah. He passed. Go. Good. Oh, yeah. Look at you. I love it. Way to go, T. Yeah. Way to go, T. So my brother had an auto fail. I'll tell that some other time. He just did a left on a green light in front of the oncoming. Like they just turn around and go back. Was, you know, many years <laughs> ago. Done. But that's right. You're done. Take me back. So yeah, he passed the test. So he goes in line. And this is like, I don't know how you're supposed to figure it out. He goes back in line. He's got all his stuff. He's got his passport and a you know proof of ID and his birth certificate. And he's like, all right, ready to get my, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Pacific Standard Time. And the guy's not speaking English English very well. He goes, Nope, no computers, not nope, no, no license today. And my my son's like, well, I'm not even in there. My wife's not allowed in there either. COVID protocol. Like he's in there, oh, like trying, and he's like, What? And he's like, I don't understand. And the guy started doing this on his hands, like one, two, three, four, five, six months. And he's counting the months from when he got the permit. And the manager comes out. So this guy definitely was a little more clear headed and he basically said mm-hmm. that my son made his appointment for the actual day of six months. It has to be six months completed. So it's six months in a day. And so yeah. I didn't know this. You seem to be nodding along. So my son took full responsibility. I had an issue with this here. Yeah. He's like, I'm an idiot. He's like, I should have made the appointment for the next day, although there were no appointments. So the guy said, come back. And this is during our podcast right now, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, get in the no appointment line and we'll issue your mm-hmm. license. The computer, the government computer will not issue the license. He passed the test. He has all his documents, but it has to be that 24-hour clock has to click over. So part of this is on us. So, you know, fans, you can yell at me and, you know, the fact that I didn't know the protocols of my son. There's no grace period here? It's hours. Like 4.30 in the afternoon, <laughs> Pacific Standard, right? I mean, he's there at the close. The, the DMV's closed, yeah. right? They shut that thing down at four instantly. You're oh, just no still doubt. in government, there. They- government time is, yeah, you're oh, off. Yeah. So he has to go back there today to pick up his license. And you cannot go to another DMV. You have to go to that exact DMV. So I'm driving back to Riverside. I'm going to cut out Dude. some work today and be like, so it sounds like I thought this th- story would be a shocker and a head shaker, but it sounds like, You've experienced the same thing. It also sounds like regardless of appointment, it sounds like this is a little known fact that hopefully as we increase the listenership here on the Bleacher Blums podcast, anyone with a 15 and a half to 16 year old, it's got to be six months and one day. Yep. And to Tuttle's point, that's a great story. And I am thoroughly apologetic that you have to go back into Riverside for the for the second appointment and back-to-back days, that's not an easy drive, number one. And it's yeah. probably going to be about 15 to 20 degrees hotter when you get into Riverside than where you're at right now. But uh, How long's the line going to be? That's what I'm yeah, worried no, about. That's, I'm just waiting for them to go, oh, and he's got to take the driver's test again. So anyway. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just start banging your head against the wall now. Yeah. Um, but we we so I have triplets. Obviously, you know that, and everybody does too. And they got to, they got their permit. Everything went perfectly. So during the permit time, that six month period where the, my triplets had the permit, they made the appointment on that. Like Tuttle said, that six month and one day, we made an appointment for all three triplets to go in and get their driver's license. We forgot that Kayla had COVID earlier that year, and she didn't get her permit at the same exact time as the other two. So that's where we kind of ran into the issue. So we showed up and they gave the, you know, Ava and Audrey got their their uh, licenses. Everything was great. Passed the test. Everything's hunky-dory. And they keep looking at, like you said, they keep looking at the computer going, 
one, two, they do, you know, they're doing the math and they go, Kayla's not going to, she can't come in for another two days. And we were like, son of a, <laughs> ah. you know, but it was because of COVID. So, I mean, it wasn't, we yeah. knew the process, you but we took for process. granted that they, that they knew that, you know, that the two days on that yeah. permit were off because of COVID, but eventually she got her license, but we did have to make a second trip. Ugh. Uh, just 15 minutes down the road. So we can blame Kayla for that. Yeah. Let's blame Kayla. Blame, right? well, Kayla like, any, like everything this, everything that we do this day and age, we blame COVID. So it's on COVID. Oh, okay. There we go. Let's blame COVID. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's my story. And, you know, it's not even the Riverside DMV. It's the no appointment line. It's the drive out there. It's all of the stuff in conjunction with the fact that mm-hmm. my son took full responsibility. He's like, you know what? I should have just, you know, I should have made the appointment for a day later, which I don't think he had access to, but it is it is a little frustrating. So welcome to, hey, you know. Life welcome. lessons in the DMV, man. A lot of it goes Ooh. together. It does go together. <laughs> My wife, this is a, a little aside, folks, for the listeners, but my wife said the uh, the customer service at the Riverside DMV was fantastic. Such pleasant people out there. So, well, that's no. good news. No, sarcasm. <laughs> it was super duper. Yeah, it was great. The greeter was awesome. Like, hey, welcome to the DMV. Go stand in this line over there. Yeah, none of that happened. Nope. Take a number. Hey, good to see you. Stand Get over your there. ass over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where do I go? Yeah. Anyway, so. Good stuff, Tuttle. It is great to have you back. Obviously, the insight is amazing, and the stories are even better. And I love the fact that you can go on vacation and come back with a DMV story of all things. Unbelievable. <laughs> but that's why people tune in to Bleacher Blums. You can get to us at bleacherblums.com. We have a mailbag there. And of course, if you go to uh, any of your podcast platforms, you can go there, rate us, review us, and make sure that you subscribe and let us know how we're doing. Make sure you insert some questions in there too, because like you saw or heard in the last podcast is that Ramos will filter through some of those and we will have questions asked of Tuttle and I in future episodes. So check us out on social media at Blummer27. You can get myself at Real David Tuttle. You can get Tuttle. And then of course, our own uh, social media for our podcast is at Bleacher Blums. Um, Tuttle, you you have you didn't get a chance to do it last week, so why don't you take us home, man? Finish this thing off. No, you know you always are so complimentary, but Blummer, I mean the the you're the engine that makes this go. Um, you know your notoriety and fame and the Houston Astros uh, oh, color man. commentator on television. But uh, yeah, you're 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 a professional, and it's really fun, and uh, you know you bring the energy, and that energizes myself and. I appreciate the nice warm welcome back, but uh, you know, folks, we always want to give a shout out to our healthcare workers out here in California. I mentioned it seems like the Delta variant, as well as the fact that people believe that being unvaccinated is the way to roll. Hey, it's a free country. Um, those are the people being admitted to the hospital, but we're seeing a spike in COVID. So again, frontline workers, big shout out. Keep your head up and keep the grind and uh, you know, fire and police, military, all of the uh, services that we rely on to kind of keep us safe, healthy, and uh, um, enable us to express our freedoms here on the Bleacher Blumps podcast. We're super thankful. And um, as you know, and I missed this last week, every podcast, we encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. Believe it. Oh, there's Ramos. Dumpster fire. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. (laughs) Dude.